Paul, once again here in Galatians, Galatians chapter 2, is defending his apostolic authority. And we're looking at the fact that he is um, he's unified with the other apostles. There's a, there's a great unity. But in the midst of this uh, talk about unity, he is again talking about himself. And we might come away from this going, let Paul, sure, it defends himself a lot. And is he some kind of egomaniac in the fact that he would spend all of this time defending himself? But the truth is, is he's jealous for the truth. He wants us to know the gospel. And we cannot be saved and we cannot live in the freedom of any kind of false gospel. Every kind of false gospel, which is no gospel at all, must be absolutely destroyed. He's fighting for our freedom. He's fighting for our worship. He wants us to know God and experience the freedom that only comes in the Holy Spirit as we lift hands before the Lord and we worship Him. Recently at Kingdom Mound, we had the opportunity again to worship in what is called the worship tent. And it's one of the most magnificent parts of this Christian festival as believers from all different denominations and groups have one thing in common, and that is to raise the name of Jesus Christ up according to the true gospel. And as we are standing there, tears streaming down many of our faces as we're worshiping to the Lord. Lord, we lift your name on high. Lord, you're beautiful to us. That only comes as we hear a clear gospel. The, the freedom from sin, the, the shackles of sin. If you're shackled in sin, you need to be freed. And the only way you're ever going to be freed is if you deal with your sin. amazing how many times we hear gospel presentations even today and we hear something like Jesus lived for you he died for you and he died for your sins and he uh, was buried and he rose again that's all the gospel but if we don't understand what our sin is if that is not articulated then there's not going to really be any conviction it's amazing how many gospel presentations talk about sin without talking about sin you must be saved from your sins. People go, oh, yeah, like the sin of I don't love myself enough. No. The sin of I'm not seeing myself as precious enough or as wonderful enough. This, this self-centered gospel, which is no gospel. And if we let people just fill in the blanks, it's possible that they go away, they are never really convicted of genuine sin, and they're never really saved, and they can never really experience the freedom of the worship tent. Because a person who thinks that that's what sin is and just fills in the blanks with what sin is goes away unchanged. Jesus was in the business of talking very directly to people about their sin. It's amazing how quickly he cuts to the chase. John chapter 3, you say, Nicodemus, you're the teacher of Israel, but you must be born again. You say in John chapter 4, you have a husband and you are right, for you have had five husbands and the man you're now living with is not your husband. 
That's cutting to the chase. Jesus didn't just offer a gospel like this. Listen, I came, I lived for you, and I died for your sins, and if you accept me, you can go to heaven. He said, listen, woman, if, if you do not repent of your sins, the sin of man after man after man after man in your own life, and the man you're now living with isn't even your husband, unless you deal with that straight on, you'll never know what it's like to drink living water. Because you'll never know what it's like to be forgiven of your sins. And so we hear presentations oftentimes that don't even talk about sin, or if they talk about sin, it's in such a generic way. And I, I must say, even in recently in hearing gospel presentations and seeing responses, I wonder how many people were really cut to the heart with their sin. Or did they just hear sin, or were they just, again, filling in the blank, giving it their definitions of sin, rather than somebody standing up and saying, this is sin, and this is what separates us from a holy God. So when we talk about sin, we're, we're talking about sexual sin, any kind of sexual sin. We could talk about, as we were just talking about here in John chapter 4, a woman living together with a man who's not her husband. That's sin. That's sin. The sin of lust. The sin of fornication. Sex outside of marriage. We could talk about that. That's sin. That breaks the heart of God. That separates us from God. The, the sin of misusing our, our bodies with drugs and alcohol. That's sin. That, that isn't just a, a disease. We hear people talk all the time about, well, it's just a disease I have. I just have to suffer with this like I suffer with cancer. No, 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 no. No, no. It's not cancer. It's not AIDS. It's not even gingivitis or rickets. It's none of those. You could fill in the blank with all sorts of rare diseases. Well, I have alcoholism like I have scurvy. No, no, you don't. Well, you're dealing with the sin. The sin of homosexuality. That's a sin. Men drawn in lust after other men sexually is sin. It's not okay to be gay. So we have, we have all these, these talks about sin, and yet we are talking about how precious and how wonderful we are. We never even get to the sin part. You know even the lust for another man is sin? Some people say, well, I'm gay, but I just don't participate in any kind of sexual activity. I just, I just think it a lot and lust after other guys. Listen, that, that's sin. You say, well, some people have proclivities to certain sins and desires for certain sins. Oh, yes. And you say they're born with it? Oh, yeah, but it's not a gene they're, they're, they're born with. It's called original sin. And this, this is why we all struggle with different sins in our life. The sin of anger. The sin of not wanting to lay on the horn in the middle of traffic. The sin of rage. The sin of bitterness, 
the sin of gossip. Not being able to control our mouths and just talking about people. That's sin. You know, the, the word gossip actually means whisperer. Well, it's true. Doesn't matter if it's true. So the sin of, of, of gossip, the sin of slander. You say, well, what is slander? Slander is, is lying about somebody to make them look bad. The sin of greed, living for money, living for things. The sin of idolatry in our lives where we make an identity out of who we are and the job that we are in. The sin of indifference. The sin of hardness of heart toward God. The sin of not being involved in church if we're Christians. That's a sin. The sin of overeating. The sin of playing with another person's affections and feelings. Flirting with them in an unholy manner. You, O oh young man, flee youthful lusts. But Paul told Timothy. And by the way, Timothy wasn't 18. He's probably about 40. Young man, flee youthful lusts. So the Bible gives us list after list. In fact, Jesus talked a lot about sin. We could talk about all the, the sexual sins which we've talked about. The sin, of, the sin of this whole idea of transgenderism. And we can identify, a boy can all of a sudden identify as, as a girl or a girl identify as, as, as a boy. Listen, this isn't just a, a mental issue. This is sin. We in this nation, we are, we're going crazy. I mean, we're going crazy in this nation over the things that we embrace now. I'll, I'll never forget uh, when, when I was younger, our parents, and thank God for parents who showed me how to really live for Jesus. And weekly, they would do a whole bunch of different things. But one of the things that they would do is they would take us in, in, in bad places, in, in bad sections of neighborhoods that weren't that great, and we would tell people about Jesus. And it wasn't just to try to grow a church. It's because there was a group of people in this church that was just fired up about the Lord. They just loved Jesus. And by the way, that's what the apostles were. They were just men fired up about Jesus. There were no robes and there were no massive cathedrals. There was no pomp and circumstance. There was no Mercedes Benz. There was no hiding out behind stages and all this. These were just regular men with power. Power. Power in the Holy Spirit. They knew God. They knew holiness. They preached sin. They preached about sin. And so when we have a whole culture here that is, that is dealing with certain sins, we need to speak directly to them. But I remember uh, being with uh, church people in front, of a, uh, in front of a bar, in front of a club, and there's people going in and out, and in front there were, there were men who were picking up prostitutes. There's you know, prostitutes all along the way. 
Remember this man, because you'd have these men who were well-dressed and in nice cars, and they would come and, you know, married men with children and everything. They needed a nice little fling on the side. So they would come and they'd pick up these, these women. And i never forget uh, this, this man picking up this woman. And it was very evident after about 30 seconds of conversation, uh, this person got out of the car and it became evident it was not a woman, it was a man. And I remember the shock of that. This would be back in the mid-80s. The shock of that. It's not shocking anymore. That's normal. So we, we look at all these sins, the sins of being numbed to death with TV and video games. The sins of watching things in movies that are wholly inappropriate. Wholly inappropriate. We've gotten so afraid of being legalistic, we don't even talk about holiness anymore. Listen, legalism is not having standards in our life. We must have standards. Legalism is thinking that if I obey God's standards, His law, that He's going to allow me into heaven or give me merit based upon what I have done. That's what legalism is. There's also a second definition of legalism, and that's what the Pharisees did, and that is adding to the law of God. Jesus said, you, you throw burdens upon people that they cannot bear. You nullify, he said to the Pharisees, you nullify the word of God with your traditions. That's legalism. But legalism is not being concerned with how we live. If somebody can go watch Fifty Shades of Grey and just sit there and watch it as a believer and say, well, there's, we don't want to get into legalism. We don't want to get into anything about restraints and standards. Listen, we have missed the message of Christianity. Something has gone terribly wrong. The reason I, I prolong this is because if... If there is no real such thing as sin, then what are we doing? Why do we need Jesus? Why do we need Jesus? Why do we need Jesus to save us from sins like laziness? Loving ourselves, being consumed with ourselves, self-glory, self-adulation, desiring people to notice us. Somebody notice me. Instead of being like Paul saying, you know what, Lord, put me in the desert for three years. That's fine. That's fine. The gospel that Paul was, was fighting for was a, a gospel that set people from free from their sin. And when a person sees their sin in light of the holiness of God, they begin to see their sin. They say, oh, God, I'm unworthy. And then all of a sudden, the love of God comes in. The, the, the powerful, overwhelming love of God that he still loves us even though we're sinners, that he came and he died for us, that he wants to take us out of the darkness, he wants to take us out of the anxiety and the darkness of sin, he wants to get us out of that pit. And we begin to say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for setting me free from sin. Thank you for delivering me. You could have let me be that guy picking up that lady. I would have been that guy. I am that guy if it's not for your grace. Not for your grace.
Lord, if it's not for your grace, we will fall. So we come before the Lord and we say, Lord, it's only by grace. We see all the sins in our life. We, we look at it. We say, Lord Jesus, thank you. And the message of the cross really means something. So when Paul is fighting for this, it's not just about, about himself and I'm Paul and everybody better listen to me. It's I have the truth. I have the real gospel that sets people free. And I don't want you to be stuck in sin that's going to continue to hold you in bondage. And maybe we should just stop for a moment and ask the question, do you feel the darkness of sin? Do you feel its bondage? Or do you go, eh, it's, yeah, I guess it's kind of bad, but, you know, everybody has their own life, and so I'm okay. So here is, here is Paul fighting for the truth. And he didn't have 2,000 years of history to look back. He didn't have 2,000 years of history to look back on to see the profound effect that he would have on lives like yours and mine. He's writing this in the first half of the first century. There's been no cathedrals built. There's not millions upon millions upon millions around the whole globe that are worshiping Christ. And here he is defending himself against the false traditions of these so-called super apostles who are really false apostles. And he's saying, listen, I have a revelation from God. These guys do not. These guys are the false guys. How many of us today are quoting super apostles? None of us. And yet how many of us are quoting, how many of us are quoting Paul? How many of us are living according to the things that he taught us? And yet he didn't see us. He didn't see the future. He didn't know what was going to happen a hundred years from him. He didn't know when the Lord was going to return. He was hoping that the Lord would come back in his own day. But he stood for the truth. And when he preached the gospel, he preached the true gospel. He preached the whole gospel. And he was willing to say that he was on the same level as the other apostles. He wasn't greater than the other apostles and he wasn't less than the other apostles. I used to get confused, and perhaps maybe even still do, with those greater than, less than symbols in math. I don't know. Maybe nobody else does, but I'd always look at those things and go, now, the open side, is that greater? Or is that the one pointing to the other number? Maybe that's less than. And then if you flip those around, and I would always always get them mixed up the, in, in math, the, the greater than, less than, and, and what that exactly meant. But if we were using symbols to describe Paul, we would say that he was equal to. And this is the point he's saying is he's saying, I'm equal to John. I'm equal to the Lord's brother, Jacob or James. I'm, I'm equal to Peter. If you had a sign, it's not greater than or less than these guys. They're not greater than me. They're not less than me, but we're exactly equal. We're on the same plane. We've had the same revelation. Would you turn to your Bibles? We're going to go through this real quick. This is going to go. We're going to do one verse today. Okay. And then we're going to close. That's it. We might not even get through one verse, but we're going to go for it. Here we go. Galatians chapter 2, verse 6. And from those who seemed to be influential, he's talking about James, he's talking about Peter, he's talking about John. They have, they have seemed to be in the sight of other people. They seem to be the weighty ones, the leaders of the church. And they were leaders, and they were pillars of the church as Paul is going to say, these are main men of the church. 
But Paul is saying they, they're considered to be these main players in the church, these main leaders. And yet people might look at Paul and go, but there's, there's Peter and there's James and there's John and then there's Paul, you know, kind of second class. He's saying, no, no, same level. And from those who seem to be influential, Peter, James, John, again, not James, John's brother, but James, the Lord's brother, what they were makes no difference to me. Paul's saying they're, they're on the same level as I am. He's not disregarding them. He's not disregarding their authority, but he's saying they're not an authority over me. They haven't received more revelation than I have received. For God shows no partiality. I just want to stop there just real, real quick here. Some people might say, well, when God says he shows no partiality, that just means we're all the same. You know, if I want to be an apostle, I can be. I can be anything I want to be. And isn't that the message we hear all, all the time today? You can be anything you want to be, little Johnny, little Joey. You can be anything. Really? I want to be Michael Jordan. Well, I'll never be 6'6". I'll never jump near as high. So when we talk about no partiality, God showing no partiality, it doesn't mean we're all the same, that we all have the same roles. There's no distinction. There's no authorities. There's no leaders over us or, or people who are different than us. There's no male. There's no female. There's no Jew. There's, there's no Gentile. Of course there's still distinctions. That's not what he's saying. But what Paul is saying here is he's not obligated. God is not obligated to certain people. He's not beholden to certain people. He's not bound by certain people. He doesn't look down and say, wow, there's Peter. He's looking good. And uh, so I'm going to be partial to him based upon who Peter is. Or I'm going to be uh, partial to John based upon who John is. That, that's what Paul means here when he says that there are no distinctions or there is no partiality with God. Those, I say, he says in verse 6, who seemed influential added nothing to me. So what is he saying? He's saying those leaders who in the eyes of people, and rightly so, seemed like the leaders, they were the leaders, he said they didn't add a bit to the gospel that I was given. They added nothing. They didn't sit Paul down and say, well, we need to fill this in. You're kind of defective in this part of your understanding of the gospel, and so we want to bring you up and up to speed on, on exactly what this means. Paul says none of that happened. All those who seemed influential, I was just as influential. That's what Paul is saying. And surely he has been. Maybe we could close with this. How many of us have been as affected by Paul as we have been by Peter? Or how many of us have been as affected by Paul's writings as we have been by John's writings? Maybe even more so to some extent. Think about John, the beloved disciple, the beloved one of Christ, wrote five books of the New Testament. He wrote uh, John and 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and then, of course, he wrote the book of Revelation. Very prominent, very influential, rightly seen. You have James, who was a pillar, the Lord's brother, pillar of the church, leader of the church at Jerusalem. You have Peter. Jesus says, upon this rock, the confession of who Christ is, he will build his church in Matthew chapter 18. These are some pretty prominent figures. And Paul comes along and says, listen, they added nothing, not a word. They added nothing to me. The gospel that I received, same gospel as them, 
not greater than, you know those signs, back to the signs, but equal to. And the reason it is worth going through this, and even going through this slowly, is because the gospel is at stake, and our ability to worship in the freedom of the Holy Spirit is at stake. And I don't know about you, but I, I can't wait to go to heaven. With millions upon millions of sinners who have seen their sin in the light of Christ's grace and who are able to worship, worship freely because of the grace that has been given to us in spite of our great sin. Would you stand with me as we close? Father, we, we thank you for your word, the, the, the word of truth that has been spoken here today. And God, I, I would ask you that you would speak to our hearts and give us an ability, God, to see our sin. And help us, O oh Lord, not to compare ourselves to others. As we said, if it wasn't for your grace, we would do everything everybody else is doing. We've done more than enough ourselves. We have done more than enough ourselves, God. We look at our hearts and they're sick and they're deceitful and they're wicked. But then your spirit comes in, rushing in like a wind. And he cleans out all of the garbage. He applies the gospel to our hearts and he applies the gospel to our lives. We get it. We get it. We understand what Paul is saying here. And 2,000 years of church history hangs in the balance over the sovereign election of a man named Paul. We thank you for his life, his willingness to plow ahead even though he couldn't see all the future. He knew the revelation that had been given to him, and he was assured of that because it was Christ who showed up. And we pray, oh God, that you would show up in our lives. We ask this in the mighty name of Jesus, and everyone said, Amen.